Worldcon is returning to San Jose, California. Writers, readers, and fans from around the globe will converge on the Bay Area in August to mingle, read, write, play, geek out, and celebrate the Hugo Awards, where our friends at the Verity Podcast and Uncanny Magazine have really racked up the nominations, together at the 76th World Science Fiction Convention. Programming for Worldcon is still in the works. If you have ideas for readings, lectures, panels, musicians, anything, share them at worldcon76.org. Have you registered for Worldcon yet? Register today at worldcon76.org to join the more than 2,500 attending members in San Jose from August 16th to the 20th. You can get the latest from Worldcon 76 on Twitter at Worldcon 2018 and on Facebook at Worldcon 76. I spared her life. You let one of them go, but that's nothing new. Every now and then a little victim's spared because she smiled, because he's got freckles, because they begged. And that's how you live with yourself. That's how you slaughter millions. Because once in a while, on a whim, if the wind's in the right direction, you happen to be kind. Only a killer would know that. No sooner did he come on the scene than it felt like we'd already lost him. But Christopher Eccleston was front and center in rescuing Doctor Who from oblivion. Dare we say? He was fantastic. Rachel Donner helps us go back to 2005, the return of Doctor Who, and the debut and departure of the Ninth Doctor. On the April 3rd edition of This Week in Time Travel. Welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Time Travel, where we're going to be covering the week that was in Doctor Who and the previous week that was in Doctor Who. And joining us for the entire episode is our dear friend who have we have not seen in far too long, Rachel Donner. Hello, Rachel. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. Welcome back to the States. Thank you. This is an episode that has been almost artisanally crafted for Rachel's enjoyment because we're going to be talking about Who Against Guns for a final update. We're going to be talking about the Ninth Doctor and some shenanigans that uh, you got into across the pond. But before we do that, we didn't have an episode last week. No, unfortunately, we didn't. We did have a main stage panel interview with Rachel Talalay on Saturday morning at Regeneration Who Convention in Baltimore, Maryland. Which was great. Rachel was great. Everything about the panel was great. What was not great is that there was a last minute revelation that we learned that we were not actually going to be able to record the panel and share it with all of you here. So we are very sorry about that. Uh, it was due to unforeseen circumstances and try as hard as we could. We couldn't make things work. So unfortunately, you had to be there to see it. But we did have a great conversation with Rachel and she will be joining us at a later time to go over what we discussed during the panel and uh, some other fun things that have been going on in the interim. So if you weren't at Regeneration Who to see us live, you didn't see an exclusive deleted scene from Twice Upon a Time. So sorry, but it was awesome. It was very cool. Uh, of course, the other people that were there at the convention who were brilliant and wonderful were Peter Capaldi, Michelle Gomez, artist Simon Fraser. There was 
great other guests and attendees there, a whole bevy of Fifth Doctor companions and villains alike, including the Doctor himself. Uh, and there were some excellent panels that both we and many of our friends were hosting and participating on. So to everyone who was at Red Generation Who that we got to saw and shake hands with and say hello, thank you so much for coming to say hi to us. And we hope to see you at another convention very soon. Alyssa, Rachel, I have I have something that I just got to share with you both. I left my hotel room at one point. I walked down the hall and Peter Capaldi was on his phone as I passed him. And I gave him one of those, you know, gentlemanly nod kinds of things. And he smiled at me. <laughs> oh, I love Peter Capaldi so much. He said such nice things to me when I got to go up and get his autograph. Yay. Nice. Ah, but we didn't see you there, Rachel. No. And there was a lot of wailing and lamentation over the fact that uh, this was his first convention post-Doctor Who, and it was right there at Baltimore and would have been convenient for you and a couple of our other friends to come see there. But you weren't there. Why were you not there, Rachel Donner? I was not there because I was in England stalking other Doctor Who actors in the theater. The theater? Yes. So maybe stalking is a little harsh. I was enjoying their art. (laughs) What did you see? Very diplomatically put. So we saw Pearl Mackey in The Birthday Party by Harold Pinter at the Harold Pinter Theater. So that was kind of cool. That was um, that was the uh, play that she was doing that she was originally scheduled to attend Region for and yes. uh, Galley for. Correct. And after she had had to cancel from Galley because of the play, I was like, well, why don't I just go see the play? That is a very good decision. <laughs> and also in the birthday party was Zoe Wanamaker, who was the Lady Cassandra, and uh, Toby Jones. Very cool. Yeah. But all three of them had wonderful performances in the show. The characters were very strong and very clear. The plot is what was a little unclear at the end. But that's a very Harold Pinter thing. All right. So we had seen that on the Friday night. And then Saturday, hopped on a train to Stratford-upon-Avon to see the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of Macbeth with Christopher Eccleston. What? Yeah. Okay, so what's the man like in person? Oh, I it's hard to put it into words, to be honest, because he commands that stage in such a way. And it's such a good part for him. It was such a good fit. It was a very kind of uh, stark stage, modern in terms of costume, but it was sort of a mix in terms of, I would say, somewhere between the 40s and today in terms of the costume and dress, but with modern military uniforms for the army bits and stuff. Very interesting staging, and including a countdown clock, which started exactly when the first murder is committed on Macbeth's behalf to gain the throne, and then counts down two hours without stopping, including during the intermission, to zero when Macbeth dies at the end. Which, how they do that is just, I don't even know. That's the magic of the theater. It was just, his performance was so magnetic. And I think the moment where he got me, it was in the coronation scene, where he just walks up 
the thrust stage to the center and he's wearing a cape and he twirls this cape around <laughs> and then kneels in order to receive the crown. And I I was done. I was just done. Just the look in his eyes as he's like walking down the stage and doing that 180 turn. And it just, oh, he just was so magnificent in this role. The physicality he brought to it was just extraordinary. I didn't think I was going to be jealous of you because I had such a good time meeting Peter Capaldi. And yet somehow you have made me jealous of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace speech. He was looking directly in my eyes. That was <gasps> not okay. That was not okay. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I cannot uh, yeah. handle this. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I did. I did see on the social medias a stage door picture of you and your cohorts with Pearl Mackey. Yeah, she was so nice. She was so nice. Yep, I'm. I'm officially jealous now. Well, I think we've got mutually assured jealousy going on here. I think we. I think yes. we all had fantastic weekends. It's true. I, I did see some of the pics coming through from Regen and had a little bit of a pang. Of not being there. But then I looked out the window at the English countryside and felt okay about it. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, just have to keep sharing stories and uh, maybe eventually we will all see all of the cool people that the other people saw over this past weekend. I hope so. Big week for FOMO. So we also had some other cool things happening at Regeneration Who. For those who were there or were following along on all of our Twitter accounts, Rachel Talale was hosting a silent auction for Who Against Guns. Uh, she had a collection of really incredible swag from all of the TV shows and movies that she's directed. And she was also collecting donations, encouraging people to donate to the four organizations that we had uh, as part of Who Against Guns. And as we announced just this past Friday... At her auctions and at her table, she raised over $2,600 for Who Against Guns, which brought us over $20,000 total raise for organizations that are working to end gun violence. So thank you to everyone who has donated. Thank you to Rachel Talalay for just giving so much of her time and energy to putting on a silent auction at this convention to be able to raise that big chunk of money that brought us over that $20,000 mark. This is just really, really incredible. At the time this podcast is dropped, the Who Against Guns campaign is over. And if you didn't participate, you have sadly missed your opportunity for the exclusive commentaries. Rachel, what else can we say about the wrap up for the campaign? We're just so grateful to everybody that got involved and donated. Uh, it's just been so heartwarming and inspiring knowing just how many people. We had well over 700 unique donors. And as of recording, we're still final tabulating, but it, it was the final tally is over $21,000. So we're just so grateful. And it's meaningful dollar amounts that we've gotten to these organizations that they'll be able to actually do something with, especially because most of it, like I've said in the past, has come in just small increments, $10 donations, $20 donations, and people just giving what they can and uh, giving of their time, whether it was helping manage the campaign or 
participating in the recordings or donating for giveaways. And, you know, we just cannot be more grateful to everybody. So that was a really eventful week in Doctor Who life. Uh, there was a lot of coming back to the Ninth Doctor for a bit because this is a Ninth Doctor-centric episode of This Week in Time Travel. Last week in time travel turned out to be a pretty big week for Ninth Doctor news. Uh, first of all, in a couple of interviews with the Radio Times and The Guardian, Christopher Eccleston opened up about his reasons for leaving after the first series. And, you know, there had been hints that there had been some just hard feelings between him and the production staff of Doctor Who. And that that sort of comes right out there in the open. I, I hate it when mom and dad fight, so I didn't super enjoy reading about all of that stuff. But it is a peek behind the scenes. And it's a tribute, I think, to the professionalism of everybody involved that the series was so good and Doctor Who did so well, despite some turmoil behind the scenes. More positively, Stephen Moffat released his scripted scenes for the Ninth Doctor in Day of the Doctor, and he, he just totally captured Christopher Eccleston's voice in the book that we talked about before, A Second Target for Tommy, which was released from Obverse Books on March 23rd. Excerpts from those scenes have shown up in different news sources. It basically replace, literally replaces the War Doctor with the Ninth Doctor, and the Ninth Doctor is dealing with the end of the Time War, and he's interacting with the moment who is Billy Piper before he's ever met Rose. It's really kind of oh, cool. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can read it. I think I, it just might make me too sad. It's It's really something interesting to imagine what it would have been like to have the ninth doctor there. I did have a little bit of a, you know, prickle in the back of my mind because one of the things I would have hated to have come out of this is the ninth doctor seeks out Rose because he like somewhat vaguely remembers the moment being Rose, which I think might have been in the cards. And I just, there's a whole part of me that really doesn't want that because what made Rose special was because she was just any random person. She just happened to be at the right place at the right time to be able to fall into these adventures. And I don't like all of the companions having some grand destiny of ending up with a doctor, having it preordained for them. So I would have loved to see Eccleston in the role, but I I would have hated to feel like, you know, Rose was, you know, chosen or destined to be with with the doctor. I like I like how it is now. So I have I have feelings. I have so many feelings about that. It's also an example of uh, Stephen Moffat being tricksy because when he did Night of the Doctor, he alluded to how it didn't make sense for the Ninth Doctor to have been involved in the Time War because at the beginning of Rose, you know, he's looking in the mirror and it's as though he recently regenerated. And rule one, Moffat lies when it serves the story. Yeah. We also got the news that uh, Eccleston is going to be making his first convention appearance at uh, the London Film and Comic Con in July. So um, who's up for another London trip? Because uh, it's tempting, let me tell you. It's so tempting. I really, really would love to see him on a panel and get to shake his hand, get his autograph. Um, Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious to see what more he reveals when he actually goes on stage to talk about it. Yeah, I am also a huge, huge fan of The Leftovers. I think it was one of the finest pieces of television ever made and sorely underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And so I would just love to talk to him about that. 
for hours. <laughs> I could talk to him about basically anything for hours of just yeah. let's sit down and talk about your love of Shakespeare. Just let's mm-hmm. just go for it. That would be a perfect, perfect afternoon. <laughs> There has been some complaints from some quarters of fandom uh, that uh, he's ac- accusing him of charging too much for his autographs. And as he's far exactly as exactly within the median, exactly, he, I know he's exactly where somebody of his caliber should be. And also, like he's charging less than he could be charging for it. And also, the actors don't really set that number. No, like, that's they just really his don't. agent and the uh, and the convention and the autograph company that manages the whole process like yeah. i don't know who thinks he's getting all of that money but he's really not getting all of that money nope resolved that this week in time travel is fully in support of christopher eccleston at the london comic con <laughs> and looking ahead a little bit there was also a little bit of news about this series that's coming up series 11 so actress sharon clark uh, who's playing one of the recurring characters in the new season revealed a little bit more about the characters that she and Bradley Walsh are going to be playing. That's going to be spoilers, so we're not going to say any of that. But she did say that Jodie Whittaker is, quote, going to slay it. What's lovely about Jodie, because she always plays these kind of dour characters who are downtrodden, to have someone who's up and hopeful and fighting crime, she's just bouncing around the set. So that sounds delightful, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what she does. I think it's a pretty good contrast between Peter Capaldi, who could alternate between doer and guitar on a tank. <laughs> but I have no doubt that we'll see a whole lot of different sides of Jodie Whittaker on this one. So that brings us to the end of our news for This Week in Time Travel. And after a brief message, we'll be back to dive deeper and deeper into the Ninth Doctor and the first year of uh, The Return for Doctor Who. But... Remember that it's Pledge Month for all of the shows on the Incomparable Network. Members who support the network get some extra goodies, one of which will be a special crossover podcast between This Week in Time Travel and Lazy Doctor Who. It's our State of the Union panel for Doctor Who in 2018. Just go to theincomparable.com slash members to sign up and check the boxes for any shows you want to support, including This Week in Time Travel. And you'll get an exclusive link to the feed with our exclusive episode. We really appreciate your listening to This Week in Time Travel, and thanks for considering supporting us. All right, Rachel, the reason we brought you here today. Yes. The reason you enthusiastically volunteered for this doctor and no other doctor. Why this doctor? The ninth doctor is everything to me. I think he's perfect. And I I, I just can't imagine any other doctor being my doctor. He, first of all, had the gargantuan task of bringing back the show from the ashes and creating a successful program, which undeniably he accomplished. And the second thing is that he created a new kind of doctor, which was damaged from this time war, which we found out about dribs and drabbles throughout the course of the season. And he was able to simultaneously show the doctorish side of the character that had been there through the history of the show, 
but at the same time to show the war weariness and the almost PTSD of having been through it. And I think that just speaks a lot for Christopher Eccleston, the actor, and it speaks a lot for the team that got put together for this season. And by team, I sort of mean TARDIS team, if, if you can say that there was one. But the dynamic between this doctor and Rose was the exact dynamic that we needed in order to bring this show back from the dead. I was just rewatching Rose before we started the podcast. And it's really quite an incredible episode because it's very focused on the companion rather than the doctor. When you're reintroducing this character, you're reintroducing it through the eyes of this average woman who has no idea about any of this kind of stuff. It's it's all brand new to her as it is to so many people in the audience. And even for mm-hmm. longtime fans, it's a sort of reintroduction to, well, you've known what the show was, but it's a brand new team. It's a brand new television era. It's a brand new Doctor. So we're going to reintroduce you to what Doctor Who is going to be now. And what sells everything is that incredible dynamic that Billy Piper and Christopher Eccleston have, that they are both friendly and confrontational, that they have such a easy rapport from the very beginning. But Rose is still sort of reluctant to really buy into all of this, you know, alien space, you know, nesting consciousness and uh, plastic shop dummies coming alive. You know, she's not buying it for so much of this kind of like, you know, fans are going to be reluctant to buy into Doctor Who again. You know, isn't that that silly show with the bubble wrap monsters? And why do we really want to care about this again? But she overcomes her reluctance to sort of want to be a part of things that are happening in her life. And Christopher Eccleston sells this as being such a serious thing. He's just, yeah, nope, this is what's happening. They would like to uh, overthrow your entire planet and kill all of you. And he earnestly, he just, he has this face of he earnestly believes that what what it is that he is saying. And you just, you utterly buy into it in the first story, even through all the silly things. I'm watching it now going, oh, thank God CGI has progressed much further than it was <laughs> yeah. in 2004 and 2005. But my goodness, like, I still buy into that. I still buy into that every single time because they together sell this. They bring you over that hurdle and make you want to love and watch this show again. He's so matter of fact about things. That things just are what they are, and it's there's no need to put any extra flourish on anything where it isn't necessary. And I think that's so important. Like, he's so subtle at everything he does, but yet exceedingly powerful at the same time. I love the comedy bits in Rose that we didn't see a whole lot out of him in future episodes, but when he's messing with the deck of cards, when he's mm-hmm. um, when he's struggling with the Auton arm. Early Christopher Eccleston is a lot funnier than we give him credit for in retrospect, don't you think? I think so. I mean, you do see it a little bit later in the season, uh, especially when Captain Jack shows up. Mm-hmm. They they have a lot of witty banter going on there. And um, in Boomtown, 
with oh, yes. Margaret Slothene. I mean, that is some delicious humor. Oh my god. Can we can we can we talk about Boomtown or is that jumping too far ahead? <laughs> Time is relative. Let's yes. do it. Yes. I adore Boomtown. I think it's possibly the most underrated episode of the entire series. And the as it, you said, the, the TARDIS team, this is the one time that we have just about everybody. I don't think Jackie's in that one, but Rose, the Doctor, Mickey, and Captain Jack, that is just a delightful combination. And we only got it for one episode. It's also one of those things that takes something silly from a previous episode and makes it very utterly serious. You know, the Slitheen are not the most serious of Doctor Who monsters that have ever existed. They're basically these green blobs in people suits. And they're kind of treated as a joke for that two-part story. You know, they have, you know, they're constantly farting because of the gas exchange of making themselves small enough to fit in these human suits. And they're sort of carrying them around on coat hangers and things like that. Um, and it's there, those aliens are really used for comic effect. And then you get into Boomtown and Eccleston treats it entirely seriously. You know, uh, the doctor has this, you know, face to face sit down with Margaret and basically saying, you've cut this human being out and wearing her skin suit and you don't even know anything about her. Like you're expecting me to treat your pleas for mercy very seriously through the mouth of a dead woman. And it's one of those things that sort of brings the horror of those monsters right to your heart, you know, of they're having this intensely serious conversation and taking what was a very silly Doctor Who villain and making it something utterly serious and horrifying. And there's both comedy and serious content, you know, very, very close together. And and Eccleston sells it. He really does. And and that's why I say this is such a perfect season, because a lot of people put down this Lillian two-parter, but... I think other than the one joke, it, there's real meat to it. And especially because it comes back around in that later episode. I mean, I, I, there, there's just no weak point to the season whatsoever. None whatsoever. That's 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 a strong statement. But I'm having difficulty finding a counter argument for you. Mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. even Adam, the companion who couldn't is I mean, he, he he's a pretty wet character, but that's the point of the character. Exactly. And and this is the other thing about the Ninth Doctor that I love so much, is that he has such an understanding of humanity, or he thinks he does, but at the same time, he's always learning something new. And he understands the uniqueness of each person. And you see that in he just has to let Rose figure herself out. And by bringing Adam along and supporting her in having him around, he knows that this is going to end badly, but he has to let her go through that and make that mistake. How about that moment when Mickey admits to the doctor that he's not, quote, not brave enough, close quote, oh, and yeah, asks the yeah. doctor to lie for him? Yeah, he's just so supportive of humanity he just understands what it takes to relate to humans and takes the time to figure each one of us out individually. He, to me, was really sort of the best and possibly only person who could have brought this show back 
because he brings so much seriousness to the character and brings a lot of that mystery back to the character, uh, which was really what they were trying, but not quite landing with Sylvester McCoy and even to a certain extent, Paul McGann's era of trying to bring that mystery back to that character and make them darker. Eccleston was really sort of the best person to pull it off. And it's partly down to time and writing and investment of the show. Like McGann and uh, McCoy were not really given the best possible content to be able to do that. You know, behind the scenes with the Seventh Doctor era, there's back and forth fighting about how much of a darker subplot to put in. McGann's is the confused result of a TV show that ended up as a TV movie that's, you know, going 500 different directions. But Eccleston is really able to bring that darkness into the role as well, that he's very invested in all of the humans that he comes across. But there's also a callousness to him sometimes that he doesn't want to, at the beginning, really understand where these people are coming from because he is so invested in some bigger, larger picture that he's sort of lost the focus. You know, you have during Rose those several awful moments where he just simply forgets about Mickey's existence and the fact that Rose might care whether he's lived or died through his confrontation with the Nestine consciousness. And and it's from his perspective, he's saying, well, of course, I forgot about him. I'm focused on, you know, millions of other people that could die if this invasion goes through. And you really get sort of an alien sense to the character without trying overly hard to make him awful. He just has an entirely different perspective on things. And it's through his interactions with people that he sort of realizes that he needs to focus in on the individual. Yeah. I I think that going back to what you're saying about his darkness, one of the first things I did when he was cast is I watched The Second Coming, which Christopher Eccleston was in. I don't know if either of you two have seen it, but no. it's it's amazing. I highly recommend it. That's uh, he the played, first time he and Russell T. Davis worked together. Yes, yes. So he plays a man who uh, discovers that he is the son of God. And he gives this speech, which people would refer to as the you lot speech. And I can give you a link so you can just watch this speech. But... It has such remarkable seeds of the doctor in it because it's a man who is thrust upon the world in a way that he didn't want and didn't expect. And he hates giving grand speeches, but he's forced into this position and he has to do it in order to save humanity from themselves. And it, that's the ninth doctor to a T. It's he doesn't want to give any grand speeches. He does it mostly alone other than the everybody lives which isn't really a grand speech it's a proclamation but the you know the big speech at the end with the daleks that's pretty much alone Mm -hmm. so he's not the speak to a crowd or or show off he's not hello stonehenge no he's not at all and he's saddened by the circumstances that he's in and just Eccleston can 
show that so beautifully with just the way he, he looks in his eyes. You can just see the pain and sadness, but it contrasts with the words coming out of his mouth. And it's just so beautiful. And I'm almost crying right now thinking about it. <laughs> just, uh, it's just so beautiful. Going back to when this debuted, when he debuted, I remember having basically forgotten about Doctor Who from when I first saw it on PBS through the wilderness years. I, I even missed the uh, Paul McGann special when it ran. But I'm intrigued about this new show, this new launch. I'm, uh, I really want to find out about it. And I watch it for the first time. And the first thing that I noticed that took me by surprise was Murray Gold's music, that Westminster Bridge thing at the beginning. Uh, it's still my favorite version of the theme song. <laughs> yeah. And then and and then here he is in the leather jacket, in the close cropped hair, in nothing resembling a costume, which doctors have had ever since, um, well, all, forever, basically. It, it, it was either a stylized costume or just really, really eccentric clothing. I think that that combination of this really fresh modern approach and this really down to earth but still doctorish Christopher Eccleston, I think those are the reasons why Doctor Who was an immediate hit. I think so. You know, I've been really thinking about the Doctor's costumes lately, especially as we've been going back through all of the Doctors. And I really feel like sort of the best costumes are one in which you set the doctor loose in a secondhand store uh, and basically say, pick out your clothing. And they sort of put something together that is vaguely human and yet also still sort of vaguely off. And Eccleston sort of looks just a few years too late. You know, he looks like a little bit more like late 90s than he does early 2000s in that outfit. For one thing, there's not nearly enough denim for early 2000s. And <laughs> it works for him. You know, like he is, he is walking through in this very dour, serious, dark leather jacket, close cropped hair, like punk, but a few years too late for punk. And he makes it work. He sells it as being something utterly serious. It doesn't look like a costume on him, even though it could have, you know, even though they were trying for a look that was not like as far away from a costumey look as you could get. If you're trying to make the punk doctor, it could veer off into costume way too quickly. But he he sells it as something being utterly serious and a part of him. You know, you, you see him walking in it and it looks the most well-worn type of outfit that you can. Like he has gone through hell and back wearing that leather jacket. Yeah. And it's slightly too big on him, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. And I th and I think that adds to it. Yes. That that he's just sort of wandered through and gotten what he could. And, yeah, and he's fit fitting properly. in. He's fitting in the best he can, and he's trying to be low key, and he's trying to be subtle, and not make waves. And so he's wearing all black, and just. But yet, there's something a little bit off and a little bit alien about it because he doesn't know exactly how that leather coat is supposed to fit. Yes. Thirteen episodes. We haven't we haven't even really gotten into our favorites of the run, other than uh, as far as Rachel's concerned, they're all her favorite, um, or at least there are no weak weak ones in the bunch. But I've been 
dipping back into the Titan comics, and I've been reading a few of the Ninth Doctor comics, and they're pretty good. I'm kind of enjoying seeing the TARDIS team of the Doctor and Rose and Captain Jack, and yet it's it's a little weird to me because the Ninth Doctor burned brightly, and then we found out the day after Rose aired that Christopher Eccleston wouldn't be sticking with the show and we were going to get a regeneration at the end of the season. Two questions for the both of you. Uh, Would you have liked to have had more of the Ninth Doctor on television than the one series that we got? Or or did this feel kind of satisfying? And the other question is, could you see if – Christopher Eccleston was willing, you know, coming back to coming back to do a multi-doctor story or doing what David Tennant did and um, doing big finished stories. How would you feel about more doctor content or is this just this this 13 episode run just sort of this perfect pearl? I think for me at the time, I was really sad about it and it was upsetting, especially having just seen Rose Day of Air. Uh, which I did UK time. Uh, I was very eager <laughs> to see the <this> show come <laughs> back. And then to find out that he was leaving, I was a little confused by it. And just kind of as you went through the series, you know, there was sort of this impending doom and and I was sad and, and wanted more. But I, I look at it now and I don't think I want a second more of the Ninth Doctor. I just don't. I think... Like I said, it was such a strong season and the arc worked really well and the individual stories worked really well. And I think we really got a sense of who the Ninth Doctor was. We don't really need more to know about who he was. And I I just, I don't know, I feel like maybe more of it would dilute that perfection for me. Yeah, I'm sort of torn because, you know, he has that full emotional arc in the first season of sort of recovering and remembering why it is that he does what he does, because you've got a sense in Rose that he's just doing this out of, you know, obligation or duty that he doesn't really enjoy exploring. He just still feels like he has to clean up after this war. Um, And at the end, you really get a sense of he's rediscovered why he likes traveling and journeying, why he likes stopping in and helping out. Um, and then he's really wanted to reconnect with people that he has, you know, decided, yes, I'm worthy of friendship and worthy of being around so many people. Um, even if that means that he's going to sacrifice himself to save that person that reminded him why he loves to do what he does. I think it's very unlikely that he ever comes back, though. I think he's been pretty firm about, no, I don't want to revisit this. I don't want to do this again. I did my piece. Um, and I think if there was ever a time he was going to come back, it was the 50th anniversary. And he was pretty firm then. You know, he gave it consideration. He came and met Stephen Moffat in person because he, you know, had so much respect for him and for the show that he was like, look, I'm probably not going to do this, but I'm going to give you the time of day. I'm going to hear you out. And when I say no, I want you to know that it's nothing to do with you or what you've written. It's just not good for me. And I respect that a lot. I think maybe some far off distant future, 
there's a possibility that he comes back for something like a big finish audio or maybe 75th anniversary of the show. You know, I think by that point, you know, that it'll be sort of like with the 50th anniversary where they, you know, won't be bringing back in the, the older doctors. But, you know, I'd never say just never say never, but I think it would have to be something truly exceptional to bring it back because he's a guy that takes his work and his art very seriously and he's not going to sign off just for the sake of being in Doctor Who again. He's going to want a full pitch. He's going to want to know the stories and it's going to have to be something that really resonates with him. And this is not at all a knock on Big Finish or saying they do substandard stories because they don't. It's saying that they would have to craft a pitch exceptionally tailored to Eccleston and his taste Mm -hmm. and what he likes. And he would not be willing just to sign off and say, yes, no, sign me up for Big Finish. Um, Because let's be frank, once Capaldi's had some rest, he's going to go, yes, please sign me up for Big Finish. Tell me the story later, sort of like he did with his previous Doctor Who shows. Um, But Eccleston would be a very hard sell um, because he takes things very seriously and he's going to want to know right off the bat that if it's going to have to be a story very, very suited for him and the kind of stories he wants to tell. I agree. Um, I think one of the tragedies of like the Christmas invasion is when we because we only had the one series Rose feels like she just barely got to know the ninth doctor and then he's taken away from her in an instant uh kind of like uh, a few years later uh Clara and the transition from Matt Smith to uh Peter Capaldi um I think more ninth doctor I, I mean, like I said, I, I, I enjoy reading the comics, but I have this little twitch in the back of my head. Like, do I want to know him that well? I, I, I do feel like I got everything that I honestly needed from that one really incredible first uh, series. Yeah, I just he it was just it was a complete story for him. And I think that Rose's journey moving forward uh, to your point, just would not have been as powerful if there had been more to that relationship. And I think that's an important narrative to have explored. And, you know, it's part of the reason why Jack disappears, right? It's because Jack would have been able to handle the regeneration just fine. So Rose wouldn't have been that traumatized by it because Jack would have been able to help her. And we d- we needed that story moving on, I think, to make series two as effective as it was in its way. So, yeah, I just I I just don't need any more of nine to make me love him any more than I already do. <laughs> yep. For those 13 episodes, then what was your peak Eccleston moment? I might go into Father's Day because I think that he this is sort of peak where he's letting Rose screw up big, right? But knowing that he just has to let it happen. But at the same time, he understands what's going on with Pete Tyler. And he is there for Pete Tyler because you see it sort of over the course of the episode, Pete figuring out that he's going to have to sacrifice himself in order to save the world. And the doctor doesn't push him in any direction, but is there for him to support him 
in that journey while at the same time trying to deal with Rose messing up. And I just think that was the perfect balance of the ninth doctor in one episode. I would have to say that peak ninth doctor for me, as we discussed, was probably Boomtown, that it's comedy and that friend group at its peak and just sort of the utterly serious, in-depth philosophical discussions that the doctor can have that that moment in Doctor Who could excel at. And it's just perfect for the type of work that he is doing, for the amazing co-stars that he has working alongside him, and is for me sort of the peak Eccleston episode of uh, all the things that he excelled at during his time on Doctor Who. So Boomtown for me has to be it. I'm going to have to be that person and steer into the cliche and talk about the empty child and the doctor dances. Uh, I think that those episodes are a tour de force for Stephen Moffat, but the end of the doctor dances, the everybody lives moment, but also the exuberant celebration at the end in the TARDIS, uh, where he implies that he was responsible for Rose's bicycle when she was a little girl and things like that, you know, Mm. Um, that liberated moment when the doctor allows himself to celebrate and be happy before other bad stuff begins to settle on him again. Um, That may not be typical of the doctor in those 13 episodes but my goodness it just fills me with joy Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i feel so terrible because there's so many moments we haven't even skimmed the surface of the end of the world and in dalek when the dalek says you would make a good dalek and Oh, everything about Dalek is so perfect. Everything in that episode. I mean, it's one of the top episodes of the series. I wouldn't necessarily say it's like peak Eccleston because this is showing the Doctor sort of leaning into the skids and showing what he was like during the war um, and sort of the the worst parts of him. But Eccleston sells that so well. um, And the whole reintroduction of the Daleks is just so Mm. amazing and actually makes you terrified of the Daleks. um, and oh, it's, especially it's just, the first time when you see that they can float and yes. the stairs aren't a problem anymore. Just no stairs. We're good with this. We can do this. And just the utter ruthlessness and callousness of, you know, it's Daleks killing people has so often been the funny thing because they say the funny catchphrase as they're going through and shooting people. And that Dalek is just utterly silent for so many of those scenes um, that it's it's really good. Any final thoughts? Don't forget nine. I know. I'm sitting here with my nine mug and looking (laughs) at my nine Funko Pop figure. And it just makes me happy. Well, Rachel, we really do appreciate you joining us for yet another episode of This Week in Time Travel, talking about your favorite doctor. Your doctor. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us on This Week in Time Travel. You can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're also on Twitter at drwhothisweek. Chip is on Twitter at numeral2minutetimelord. I'm on Twitter and Tumblr at whovianfeminism. And Rachel's on Twitter at rmiriam. And you can find us on Facebook, too. We appreciate Christopher Breen for our theme music and David J. Lore for our podcast artwork. 
Thank you for joining us on This Week in Time Travel, and we will see you next week when we talk about the Tenth Doctor. And I just steered myself into a corner with no way out. Bye-bye. May as well leave that in there. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it so much I had to close and just go, yeah, check, we're keeping that. <laughs>